Good to see you this evening. I appreciate your investment in going and buying a boat to make it out to church. I know that there are many boat salesmen in the Eichard, the greater Eichard area who really appreciate that. Uh, glad that you're here. Uh, glad that you have come back out uh, for the final evening of our conference. And how great it's been to be in the Lord's house this weekend and to hear uh, what he has uh, for us. Um, and I trust that tonight is going to be the same. I want to introduce our first speaker this evening. Uh, Chris Schofield is the director of the Office of Prayer uh, at the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina. Uh, I have known Chris for uh, several years now, um, and unlike most of the guys that we've had on the other evenings, um, who this is the first time that I've ever had them come and speak, I'm not really sure how many times Chris has come and uh, filled uh, the pulpit of uh, my church. Um, he is um, a, not only a great preacher, uh, but spending time with him, um, having him pray for you, is uh, one of the amazing things that he does. Um, that's his heart. Uh, I know on several occasions I have heard him preach from the same text, from John chapter 17 on occasion after occasion. And every single time he has brought out more for me that I had not understood before about what it meant when Jesus prayed for us. Um, tonight he's going to come and I believe he's sharing uh, from Revelation. We didn't get John 17. I was actually surprised. Uh, but Chris uh, holds a Ph.D. from Southeastern. Uh, he teaches there on occasion. Uh, before coming to the state convention, he worked for our North American Mission Board, uh, working in the area of evangelization. And he directed that unit um, from 97 to 2004. Uh, he lives in Wake Forest. That's been a theme throughout this weekend. Uh, with his wife. And I believe they have four girls, um, and so uh, he, is, he is here this, this afternoon. Uh, Chris got to have a coffee with his mom on the way here, stopped in Hickory, and uh, we've had a good time fellowshipping, but tonight he's going to come, and he's going to share with us God's Word. Chris. Thank you, Michael. Bless you, brother. Well, good evening. Good to be with you tonight in the house of the Lord here in Eichard. I guess is it the way you say it, right? Eichard? Uh, but uh, I'm grateful for your partnership in the gospel to serve through the North uh, Carolina Baptist State Convention. I'm a missionary here in this state, and it's great to serve you as a missionary in this state. And the cooperation that we have together through the cooperative program, we do things together that we can't do by ourselves. And uh, your director of missions is here, Dwayne Kirkendall, and a dear friend of mine, too, and uh, Michael. And, of course, Larry. Look forward to hearing Larry in a little while. Uh, but uh, it's, a, it's a great thing to see how we as Southern Baptists work together uh, to uh, cooperate together and, and to take the gospel to the world. So thank you. Thank you for your cooperation and the joy to serve you here in our state. Um, let's bow for a word of prayer as we begin. 
Lord, uh, we're grateful tonight for your wondrous love in Jesus Christ. We're grateful tonight for the privilege of prayer and the honor, God, to call upon your holy name. We're grateful tonight for the privilege to study your word. Um, it is a lamp unto our feet and a light for our path. We're, as your people, we, we long for your wisdom. We long for your truth in our lives. We know that uh, apart from you, O oh Lord, we can do nothing. Uh, apart from your presence, there will be no fruit that's born forth for your kingdom. And so, God, we come tonight as your people, and we ask of you uh, for your nearness. We pray for you, for your revelation of yourself, for you to speak, for we, your servants, listen. We pray that you will be glorified as we come together as your people. And, God, uh, we, we, just, we just know we're in a des desperate way as your people. We need you, Lord. We need you in such a, a great way here in North America, right here in Eichard. Um, oh, God, we, we look at our country and, and, and we see a downward spiral and we understand that there needs to be an awakening. It's been so long, Lord, it's been too long. And so, Father, we, we come as your people looking to you because you are our hope. It's not in fancy programs and strategies, God, that we're going to see you come. It will be as your people are, are, are broken before you, as we turn, return to you, Lord, and, and, and we ask of you, and we obey you, and we follow hard after you. And so, Father, reveal your work to us, your servants, your majesty to the next generation, Rest your hand of favor upon us tonight. And God, confirm the work of our hands. Yes, Lord, confirm the work of our hands. That is the cry of our hearts, oh God. We want to see you, Lord. So speak. For we, your servants, listen. And we make this prayer in the strong name of Jesus, our Lord. And all God's people say it. Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3. William Booth of the Salvation Army, as he uh, was the one that developed that ministry, said this years ago. He said, in answer to your inquiry, I consider that the chief dangers that confront the coming century, this was a century ago, will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, Forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. What a great word, even over a century ago, that uh, General William Booth made regarding Christianity and its relationship to the culture. I believe with all my heart that we are in a very treacherous time in the life of this nation. Uh, we are in a very treacherous time in the life of the church in North America. We are looking at uh, the decline of the church in North America. Most Christian demographers are telling us that anywhere between 70 and, and 90 percent, depending on the area, the context, and the demographer, 
as to the fact that we are seeing the church decline and maintain in those percentage points, which means we're losing this culture to paganism. It's happening right before our eyes. Uh, in a recent uh, class, I began to ask the question, a seminary class, uh, of uh, doctor of ministry students. I asked them to respond to this statement. I said, uh, the church in North America is in trouble. How would you respond to that statement? And I had different kind of answers. One student did stand up and say, well, that's one of those things that, that uh, I really don't like to address because it seems real negative and I don't want to be real negative to my people. And I thought to myself, wow, somebody's got to be negative. Somebody's got to be truthful to our people. We've got to be realistic in this day, in this season, in this hour, and understand that we are under the judgment of God as the people of God, and we are watching this culture become increasingly under the judgment of God. Uh, we do not do what we have done as a culture and not become people under the judgment of God. And so we are watching that happen right before our eyes. Uh, there are a number of indicators that demonstrate that to us. Well, the main indicator is that there is a trickling of the gospel that's taking place and moving forward in our culture. We're not seeing a rapid running as Paul would pray in 2 Thessalonians 3. We are seeing a trickling of the gospel take place. Another thing that's happening that's demonstrating that is the fleeting away of wisdom in the culture. We are watching leaders and leadership, both uh, secularly and in the life of the church, make very, if you will, to put it lightly, very unwise decisions regarding the truth of God and the truth of his word as it applies to the culture. And so as we walk in these days, we've got to walk with wisdom. We've got to walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. We've got to walk in a way in which we understand what time it is. You know, not uh, over a year ago, uh, at 4 o'clock in the morning, the telephone rang, and, uh, and I picked it up. It was my daughter. She was expecting our first grandbaby. Now, the interesting thing was, uh, when she called, it was 4 a.m. in the morning. When somebody calls at 4 a.m. in the morning, something's wrong, right? Or they've got the wrong number. And so I pick up the phone, and she says, Daddy, she says, we're on the way to the hospital. And I said, oh, wow. She says, my water is broken, and this baby's coming. I said, okay. And I hung up the phone. Uh, I laid the phone back down, and I got back in bed and went to sleep, right? Of course I didn't. I didn't go to sleep. What did happen? I got up out of the bed. I shook my wife, said, you better get your clothes on because I'm leaving, and I'm going to the hospital. We're going to have a grandbaby today, our first. By the way, I have pictures if you want to see them afterwards. But I woke up because the reality of the situation demanded it. And as a daddy, I wouldn't do anything different. Christians, we've got to wake up. This text here in Revelation 3 is a message of God's people being challenged to wake up. The church at Sardis was an interesting church. Uh, There's a large Jewish population there in Sardis. Sardis was an interesting city, a city of luxury, a city that was set on a hillside where three sides uh, were... 
virtually uh, unaccessible, and one side had to be defended. The city, the, the city of Sardis, it was quite interesting that uh, it had the name of being a city that could not be conquered. Uh, which uh, I don't know why they believed that about themselves because a number of times in history they were conquered. <laughs> but they only had one side that they had to defend and they figured they had it pretty well down pat how to defend their city. But the Persians for certain showed them that that was not the case. In fact, the interesting story about the city is that uh, as the Persians were surrounding the city, uh, one of the soldiers of the city dropped his helmet off the wall on one of the sides in which uh, there was a cliff. And, and he figured that the Persians were not camped out there. They were not paying any attention to what was going on. And so as, as, as dusk was coming, he decided to go retrieve his helmet down in the little valley there. And uh, so there was this secret little walkway down the side of the cliff that uh, truly that a person could navigate and get down and, uh, uh, and, and, and come back up. And so that's what he did. Little did he know that, a, that a, a scout for the Persian army was watching. And that evening, while the city was thinking that it was secure, the Persian army came in and surprised them and conquered the city. It was in that kind of context that this message from the Lord to the church in Sardis comes. It was in a city that thought that it couldn't be conquered, that the church of Sardis found itself. And here the message is real regarding the reality of where this city was. Now notice, if you will, Revelation 3. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things saith he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars of God, the, the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. And so in other words, here you have a church that is being given this harsh statement by the Lord. It is a statement of reality. It is a wake-up statement. It is a statement that is intended to shock them and to bring them to this point of reality in their lives. I believe this kind of message needs to be shared with the church today in North America, don't you? I believe we need to hear that we are appearing to the world that we are alive, but we're not. And of course here, the, the Lord is trying to speak to the spiritual life. This is the Zoe life. This is the, the life of God within the church. And what he's trying to say to the church is it, it appears that you have the, the life of the Spirit in you. It appears uh, from an outward perspective that there is inward life. But in reality, there is no inward life. You might appear that way. In other words, there are trampling of the courts going on. You have activities in the body. You have things going on. You have meetings that are taking place. You have people that are coming in and out. But in actuality, it may appear that things are going on at the church. Things are happening at the church. But you are living in a facade. And you're putting up a facade. Because in reality, there is no life. There is no spirit. One of our denominational leaders, and I'm not going to say his name, but he said this uh, in a meeting. 
He said, one of the issues we're dealing with in Southern Baptist life today is that we have figured out how to grow churches, how to plant churches, and, and how to do church without the Holy Spirit. That is plaguing us in Southern Baptist life. That is plaguing us in evangelical Christianity in North America. We have, we have, we have developed strategies. We have developed techniques. We have developed uh, marketing tools that allow us to go into areas and plant churches and, and, and begin to have active congregations where there is no spiritual life. We're not impacting the culture, brothers and sisters. We're not impacting lostness. And that is a demonstration of someone who says they have life, but they really do not have life. It's when we say that we're really full of the Spirit of Christ, and the Spirit of Christ is working in us and through us, but yet there is nothing happening to see transformation take place in and through our lives and in and, in and through the lives of people around us. So that's a facade. It really isn't what it appears to be. Kind of like the zombie, you know? (laughs) The zombie (laughs) has every appearance of being alive. But they're not real bright, are they? The zombie is dead. The church is like a zombie. The thing that was plaguing the church there in Sardis, it's interesting that uh, uh, C.B. Caird would say that uh, they, they had perfected, if you will, the element of being inoffensive as Christians. In other words, they, uh, they were, were no offense to the culture around them. In other words, they were apathetic and they were complacent. George Beasley Murray uh, compared the church at Sardis uh, to a corpse lying in, in a casket. And, you know, as a pastor for many years in my life, prior to serving our denomination for the last 16 in prayer, uh, I can remember so many times being with a family at the funeral home and people coming up to someone in a casket. Oh, they look so natural. They look so real. They, they look so alive. They look so pretty. And I believe George Beasley Murray has nailed it, hadn't he? The church, it looks good. We have buildings and we have people and we have, we have programs and we have fellowship dinners. And, and it appears that everything's okay. But really the spirit of the church is not okay. The life of the church is not okay. It looks like it is. We get more excited about fellowship meals than we do about prayer meetings. We get more excited about uh, coming together and and having uh, parties and events than we do about basic Christianity where we're obeying the gospel and taking the gospel to the world. You see, it appears, it appears that we're doing okay. But the Spirit of Christ is nailing us right now. And I believe with all my heart that not only does this apply to the church, corporately, but this applies to us as individuals too. How many times are we on Sunday morning confronted by people and they say, hey, you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Your life is falling apart. We say, fantastic. (laughs) And things are not really going well at all. We put on a facade. 
we tend to say, yes, I'm doing good spiritually, but inwardly we die. I can't say to you how many pastors in the last three months that have told to me, I don't know how much longer I can continue doing what I'm doing. Because I'm dying inside. My family's dying. Brothers and sisters, there is something going on. We appear that we are alive, but the Scripture says here, no, you are dead. We're not impacting this culture. We're not impacting lostness. There are over 5.6 million lost people in North Carolina. We're losing ground fast. And we're not the only state. And that's happening in every single state in this union. And so the question is, what are we going to do about it? What is it that God's Word says to us tonight that we need to do and we need to be about? Well, the Lord here speaks to His church, and He speaks very bluntly here in this text. Look at verse 2. We know what the issue is. It is an issue, really, of integrity. It's an issue of, of, of reality. This is a reality check. We all need reality checks. We all have families. How many times in your life have you had to sit down as a family and say, okay, we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting. This is what really is going on. Something's got to change. Our schedule is all messed up. Our communication is all messed up. We need to get it right, right here. And so around the table, we're going to come to Jesus together. Now, I had four girls. That's a whole lot of hormones. Believe me, I don't have any hair. I'm living proof. But if you don't have a come to Jesus meeting every once in a while, those hormones will win. And as a church, we must come to Jesus every once in a while, don't we? It's got to happen. As the people of God, we've got to have a reality check. It's time. It's overtime. For that to happen in the life of the church and as individual Christians. What kind of impact are we having upon our communities and our neighbors? You see, we've got to ask that kind of question, brothers and sisters. Please hear me. It's, it's time for us to quit playing church. The Lord says to his people, since you appear that you are alive but you're really dead spiritually, and that's the focus and the emphasis there, Here's what you do. How do you respond to this? Verse 2, be watchful. He says, wake up. The little term there is, is to, to, uh, to be really on your guard. In, in other words, we are to, to wake up out of our sleep and, and, and to, to pay attention to the situation that's at hand. That's what he's trying to say. You don't go back to bed when you get woken up in that way. When God speaks in this kind of way, it isn't the, the, it isn't the kind of message that we say, oh, well, you know, I'll think about that. This is the kind of message when he says this to us, be watchful or wake up. It, it is the kind of message that says and requires immediate action. It requires immediate change of tune in our lives, a change of position, a change of activity. It requires immediate action in our lives. It is to wake up. We are to give attention to the matter at hand. What is the matter? We appear that we are alive, 
but we're really dead. We're putting on a mask. We need to take the mask off. We're putting up a facade. We need to get real about the situation. We have our head in the sand. We need to dig it out of the sand. Whatever it is, and however it applies to you and me, something needs to change. We have to wake up. It's what he says. And then he says, we are to strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die. Now, what does that mean? Well, to strengthen here... Uh, is to make constant or to make firm. It, it, it means, if you will, uh, to, to make someone like a pillar or something like a pillar. You're to make it firm. You're to make it constant. It's not shifting anymore. It's not changing. It's firm and it's headed in the right direction. In other words, it's used oftentimes in the scriptures and, 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 and it would refer to, to setting our face towards something and we're, we're making something firm. You are to establish it. You are to, 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 to strengthen it so that it, it is not appearing that it's alive and it's dead. You're to give attention to it. In other words, we've got to give attention to the spiritual life and the life of the body of Christ. If we do not, we will perish. And that requires of us to give, to give attention to the disciplines of prayer, the disciplines of basic discipleship and obedience in the life of the body. We are losing, listen, we are losing this culture to paganism, and we are doing so because we have forgotten the basics of the faith as Christians. And we say we have prayer meetings, but our prayer meetings are all about the sick and keeping people out of heaven instead of praying for people to go to heaven, right? We say that we're really concerned about discipleship, yet we can't find two-thirds of the people in our churches. And so something is wrong. The basics, you know, I'm a football fan and, and played football and love football. And, and, and I was just watching this year uh, the, the final game. Remember the final game where Alabama just rolled on? The tide rolled on. And, and, and it didn't even act like, Notre Dame didn't even, uh, it didn't even appear that they were there. And I'm sorry if you're a Notre Dame fan, but I'm just telling you the truth. Sometimes the truth hurts. But, you know, Notre Dame lost that game because of the basics. They weren't tackling right, they weren't blocking right, and, and they certainly uh, were not running right. They were trying to tackle a 240-pound fullback with their arms. And anybody that's played football knows that that doesn't work. And he ran all over them. And to see, that's a basic. That's a football basic. You don't tackle with your arms. And so as, as God's people, he says, you strengthen the things that are, about to, that are remaining that are ready to die. That also has application to the greater body of Christ. Your church may be doing pretty good. I say this to pastors all the time. If God's doing something neat in the life of your church, then don't just be satisfied with God doing something neat in the life of your church. You have a responsibility for the body of Christ down the road. Because if that body of Christ is hurting, if that church, that local body of believers are hurting and they're, they're, they're complacent and they're apathetic and they're dying, you have a responsibility to come alongside of them. I'll never forget this kingdom mentality 
that some churches have, a Vista de Sol Baptist Church in El Paso, Texas, years ago when I was at the North American Mission Board, uh, they would oftentimes send prayer teams to churches that were dying. You know what they would do? Their prayer teams from their church would go to other churches during the 11 o'clock hour and, and go to a back room and intercede on behalf of that church while they were having services. That's pretty kingdom-minded, don't you think? It isn't about this territory. It isn't about First Baptist Eichert. It's about the kingdom of God. And we've got to strengthen that which remains that is ready to die. And I want to tell you that a lot of churches are ready to die. And it's our responsibility. It's not their responsibility. It's our responsibility. And that's what he's talking about. He's saying it appears that you are alive, but you're dead. So what you got to do is wake up and smell the roses. Because if a local church down here dies, it will affect you. And it affects the, 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 the image of the, the church of Christ in your community. You see, God has given us the responsibility of being our brother's keeper as the body of Christ. So he says, be watchful. Strengthen the things which remain, which means we've got to give attention to the basics, y'all. Now, I'm going I'm 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 to just talk for just a second about individual basics. Christians, how are you doing in your life of prayer? How are you doing in abiding in Jesus Christ? Strengthening the things that remain. What are you doing to strengthen the spiritual life that you have and the spiritual life of your family? What are you doing to strengthen the spiritual life of this church, this body of believers, your fellow believers in Christ? Prayer is essential. Bible study is essential. Witnessing is essential. Obedience to to make disciples is essential. Those are basics. Got to give our hearts to that. And we've got to have a kingdom mindset about this. Now, notice what else he says here. In the last part of verse 2, he says, For I have not found your works perfect before God. No, I'm not through with you yet. I was just with Richard Owen Roberts, who is probably one of the foremost authorities on spiritual awakening and revival in North America. That's still alive. He's 81. He's like a little squirrely of a man, but when he gets in the pulpit, he's like a roaring lion. And he has a finger. Now, you know, every prophet has a finger. And he has a finger. But I want to tell you, the thing about him is his heart. And any time you mention revival, there's a twinkling in his eye. And he told me recently, he said, I believe God's going to send revival to North America. He says, I don't know when it's coming, but I believe it's coming. And he says, I'm looking for God's next suddenly. I'm looking for it to happen. And what, he, what the Lord is saying to his church, he says, I haven't found your works perfect yet complete they're not done you see you see i'm with pastors all the time i'm in churches all the time and the thing that i see is a is a church that's that's for the most part given up the church i'm talking the church of jesus christ and all we're doing is we're we're content with with just getting by We're content with just keeping the status quo. We're content 
with going on business as usual as we have been for years. And in essence, we've just given up and say, we can't impact this culture. I mean, look at, look at where America's going. Oh, me. Oh, my. Eeyore syndrome. And we've given up on the fact that we serve a resurrected Lord who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask. Nothing is impossible with God. And the message to the church here is that I haven't found your works complete yet. I believe there's a sleeping giant called the church in North America. And she's asleep. And if she can be aroused out of her sleep, there's a great army. Kind of like the valley of the dead dry bones in Ezekiel 37. There's this great army, y'all. And it's called the church. They could be on the offensive. But we've got to wake up. The Lord's not through with us, I don't believe, with all my heart. Do you think God's through with the church in North America? Do you think we've seen our, our golden years and they're behind us. The golden years, I remember D. Los Miles used to say this all the time. The golden years of evangelism are not in the past, but in the future. Wow. And I believe that here. Don't you think so? Do you think Eichard First Baptist Church, you think your best years are in the past? No. They're in the future. God's not through with you yet. He's still working on me. Amen. And then he says in verse 3, remember. Remember therefore how you have received, how you received the word from the Lord in the past and heard and how you've received this message. Remember the things that you have received from the Lord. And that not only means past, but it also means present. Remember this word. Remember the word that you have received. As, as, as this church was planted, remember the vision and the heart of the people then. And re remember the word that God is speaking to you now. That you have a name that you are alive spiritually, but you're dead. Remember this, what you have heard and received. Don't forget about it. We can't forget about it, folks. Then he says, hold fast. A little term that describes obedience. Really, it, it, it means to cling to and treasure to the point that you're willing to change your behavior. If you treasure it enough, you will change the way you respond to it. You're to hold fast to this word that God is speaking to you today. You're to hold fast to it. You're to cling to it. You're to treasure it. And the scripture says, and repent. This is the word to the church. And I believe with all my heart, repent. We have, we have turned away from our God. The, the only response we have today in the life of the church, because we look around us and we see where our culture is, is that of repentance. You know what that means? That means for us to turn from our wicked ways. I don't have to tell you this, but the culture has impacted the church more than the church has impacted the culture. We look more like the culture we're trying to reach 
Sometimes we act more like it too. And it's a, that's a problem because God has called us to be holy and set apart and to be godly, to, to, to be holy like he's holy and to be different, to make the world thirsty for the gospel that we have in our lives. And that's not happening. We want to look like the world so that they might in some way want to be like us. Why would they want to be like they are? They're looking for something different, brothers and sisters. They're looking for holiness, godliness, people that are different. Are we showing the world that? And so we've got to repent because we're not. If my people who are called by my name will what? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and what? Turn from the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and what? Forgive their sin and heal their land. The healing's not going to take place until God's people get right. And that begins not with my brother or my sister, but with me. It's not you. It's not Michael. I can't look at Michael and say, Michael, you need to get right. I need to look at Chris and say, Chris, you need to get right. I can't look at Larry and say, Larry, you need to get right. I have to look at Chris and say, Chris, you need to get right. That's what we've got to do. We've got to get serious about our sin. And repent. That's the message. You say, wow, you're not real encouraging. Well, this is a serious matter. The next phrase tells us that. Therefore, therefore, we always know that he's just what he's just said. Therefore, since this is true, this is what you need to do. Listen to his words. Therefore, if you will not watch, if you'll not wake up, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Judgment can come. And judgment will come if we do not return to the Lord. It has happened before with the people of Israel and God's people in ages past, and it will happen again. And it will happen to the church in North America if we do not repent. We are under God's judgment, you know that. And he will bring the final gauntlet down upon us if we do not repent and return to him, individually and corporately, as his people. In Luke chapter 19, you see this instant when God's people did not heed God's time and they missed the greatest revelation of God in all of history. In Luke chapter 19, verse 41, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He pronounced judgment. And then he said, the reason that this judgment will come is because you did not recognize the time, the kairos time of your visitation. And then he went in and he cleansed the temple. And he said, you have made my father's house a house of robbers. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. Because you have forsaken the relationship that you have with me and made my father's house a house of robbers, this has happened. You don't understand my time. You don't understand who I am. And you don't understand what I'm doing in, our, in your world. And so the gauntlet comes down. And judgment will happen. And in 70 AD it, it did. And God will do the same to us. We, we, we stand proud. 
and think that we will, we, we're doing okay. But believe me, we're not. And the writer here, the, the Lord here in Revelation 3 has a message for you and me. And that is wake up. Wake up to the reality of where we really are. We're losing this culture to paganism. And God is going to judge us if we do not repent and return to him. It's a harsh message. It's a strong message. But it's a real message. And it has happened before in the past where God has judged his people. But it has also happened in the past where God has sent revival and awakening because his people returned to him. In the 1940s in a little barn outside of a town in the Hebrides Island, a group of young men were gathered. They'd been praying for weeks, a couple of nights a week for revival to come. One of them quoted out of the Psalms, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And at that moment, he looked to his fellow, his fellow believers there in that barn, and he said, you know, could it be that we, the very ones that are praying for revival, are the very ones that are keeping it from coming? And at that moment, the Spirit of Christ fell upon that place in such a way, conviction came, and these men were on their faces before the Lord in the dust. Minutes turned into hours. And after midnight, they got up off their faces They went outside the barn and went toward the town. When they crested the hill, they saw that all the lights were on in the town. And so they they determined that something tragic had taken place because when all the lights are on in the town after midnight, something bad has happened. They get down to the town, and people were gathering in the common area, and they they, they all come to realize that nothing tragic had happened. But what had happened is that God had moved and worked in the hearts of people. And people were gathering in the common area, coming to to, to confess their sin, repent, and turn to faith in Jesus Christ. And a great movement of God began right there in that town that swept through the Hebrides Islands in the late 1940s. God has done it before. God has heard the cries of his people. In 1857 and 1858, he heard the cries of his people. When one man began to pray in a little prayer meeting in the Fulton Street Church there. And the Dutch Reformed Church, and he had passed out handbills, and and six people showed up to the first prayer meeting. The next week, they were 10, and then 20, and then 30, and then 50, and and then 10,000 businessmen and women were giving up their hour within six months, gathering and praying 50,000 people across the city. And the spirit of revival broke loose in that great city in 1857 and 1858. And and thousands upon thousands of people were converted to Jesus Christ. And it spread throughout this country. God can do it again, can he? God can awaken his people. But it's got to start with me. And it's got to start with you. And it's got to start with us realizing we've got to wake up. And get honest about where we really are. In the last part of this text, the last scripture verse is this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. What's God's Spirit saying to you?
What's he, what's he saying? Is he saying you appear that you are alive, but you're really dead? What's he saying in this church? You appear, you look like you're alive, but are you really dead? We all have to answer that question tonight. You know, I have a few little cards here. I'm going to lay them down on this altar down here. It's a, it's a card that has the awakened acrostic on it. And I invite you to come in our time together in this moment. Um, and as I close in prayer. And, and pick one of these cards up. And commit to praying for awakening. Because, brothers and sisters, this is serious stuff. Do you know that God could start something right here that would affect the rest of this state and this part of the nation, in this whole nation and our world? Do you know that? God always starts with one. Will you be that one? So I'm going to lay these down here, and I want us to pray. And... and and I'm just going to sit down. And Michael, you come and you start us on the next part of the journey uh, as the Lord leads. But let's stand together if we can, and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to lay these down here. And I invite you. This will help you pray daily for revival and spiritual awakening. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful tonight for your word. It's a time for us to wake up. Help us, Lord, be obedient. Help us not miss what you're doing in our lives and through our lives. Help us be serious, Lord, about your word and what you're saying to us. Oh, God, we're in desperate need of you. We need your presence, God. Oh, Lord, don't pass us by. Have mercy upon us, oh, God. As your church in North America, have mercy upon us, oh, Lord. Begin in my heart, God, a great movement of your spirit. Begin in the hearts of my brothers and sisters here. Something, God, that will touch a world. Do it, Lord. Do it even here tonight. And we thank you. And all God's people said.